Boom! There it is, ladies and gents. Show number two for the day. We're ready to rock and roll. You ever thought about, you know, selling stuff online maybe and didn't know where to start? Then this episode's for you. Let's get this one on the road. Here we go. Shut up and sit down. Look, a business can give you everything you want in life. Prestige, wealth, freedom. It can also take everything away from you. This show is for those who are willing to take that risk. These are the real-life stories of entrepreneurs. But before we start, I have one small favor to ask. Please leave a comment. It can be advice, critiques, tips, feedback, or share this with someone because your engagement is the most valuable and most powerful form of social currency. So thank you, and welcome to another episode of Business Boss! All right, ladies and gents, look, e-commerce is a difficult business to break into. There's so much to learn, so many different strategies to implement. It can be overwhelming. But what if you could find a team to help you shorten that learning curve? A team that knows the ins and the outs of the industry and can guide you and direct you. Today's guest has helped over 300 clients build and grow their e-commerce businesses to over six and seven figure revenue streams. So let's learn all we can from the founder of Ascend today. Let's welcome to the show, Mr. Will Basta. All right, Will, welcome to the program, man. What's going on, man? Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, dude. E-commerce. Okay, so I want to say the internet has taken off in the last 20-something years, and we've had major, major revolutions when it comes to how people buy stuff. I mean, today, I literally was shopping on Amazon, getting my products delivered, and Amazon can't do it by themselves, dude. They need help. They need uh, people like you to come in and kind of create an e-commerce type uh, of environment. It's not just a one-stop shop. Tell me about this, dude. How did you get into this space? Yeah. So, you know, obviously there's, you know, the first fact to throw at you is 50% of, over 50% of Amazon's revenue from e-commerce sales comes from third-party sellers like our clients, right? So people aren't really, aren't really familiar with the fact that you see something show up in a prime truck in an Amazon truck, you think that Amazon owns that. They technically don't most of the time. About 70, 60 to 70% of the time, those products in those trucks are just fulfilled out of Amazon's warehouse, but they are owned by third-party sellers. So that makes up the foundation of Amazon's um, e-commerce platform in general is sellers like our clients. Uh, so I, I've been personally involved in, you know, I have a background in tech, but I was, you know, dabbling in the e-commerce space a bunch of years ago, I had my failures on Amazon, et cetera. I had partial successes. And, you know, a few years ago, there was a lot of organizations popping up doing so-called what we do now, you know, sort of the automation term is thrown around of you can invest with us and we will handle everything that is generally, you know, laborious and, and time consuming. And pretty much you can just collect a check on your own business. Uh, and so my business partner and I testing different markets and investments invested in one of these programs. And you know, what that really did is it unraveled, honestly, like a, a laundry list of inefficiencies in the industry when it comes down to providers sort of providing the service, but a great business model on the surface. So we noticed, hey, this is awesome because people want to tap into this industry. Most of them are people who are already busy professionals, don't have time. They want to partner with someone they can trust, but we don't see any companies out here that are really doing it the right way. A lot of them are cutting corners. A lot of them don't really have their own warehouse. They're sharing a warehouse. I mean, we'll go, we'll dive into this a little bit deeper during the podcast, but essentially that's where our company spawned. We saw a gap in the industry. We saw a broken model. 
we came in, we use our business acumen, our experience, refine that model. Um, pretty, you know, I'd say at a small scale in the beginning. And then once we realized we had something special, when we sort of knew what we could do, proved out and proved true, we hit the ground with marketing. And now, you know, at this point, we're, you know, an expansive company with two warehouse facilities in, in Dallas, Texas that are exclusively ours. We, we push infrastructure first and transparency. Uh, and at the end of the day, that's what we do. I mean, we run multiple different models on Amazon and Walmart stores, wholesale, private label branding, some forms of compliant arbitrage, uh, and essentially make money for our clients. And, and we built an investor network of, you know, business professionals from, you know, teachers to the real estate sector, to the financial sector, to retirees, to veterans, you name it, diversify. The backgrounds are, are diverse. Commonality is none of them have time. And they all want to get a piece of the e-commerce industry that is just surpassing $5 trillion this year. So, And growing. It's going, yeah. it, it just keeps getting phenomenally bigger. Um, l- let's talk about that. Cause I remember, I don't know, about five, five years ago or so, there was a lot of people, like you said, kind of stepping into this space and it was like, you know, invest $25,000 with us and we'll start to yeah. build it all out. Um, so you, you dabbled in that. You, you kind of went in, you saw that, okay, this is definitely something that people want, right? There are investors out there that have this income that they need to do something with. They want to make, you know, turn their, their dollars into baby dollars, right? They want to have that interest yeah. coming in as, as fast as possible. And this sounds like a great opportunity. What were some of those hiccups that you saw yeah. and how did you overcome them? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I even went as if, you, if we fast forward or rewind even further back, I even had done courses in the past, right? Just to learn the intricacies of Amazon in general. But that initial investment in the automation space that I do with my business partner was really a market test kind of thing. And honestly, on the surface, almost everything, once you, once you sign the contract with this company. <laughs> and I've noticed that a lot of them are, are like this too. So this is sort of, I'm not painting a brush with on every single provider out there because they're not, they're not all bad players, but this is something that is ring true across the industry. And it could start from just ethics at the top. So leading at the truth on what is allowed and what's not allowed on these third party platforms until someone signs a contract and then getting their store suspended, doing something like a drop shipping model, which is not focused on sustainability and is against Amazon's terms of service 90% of the time, um, not really having a true infrastructure in place, saying that they have their own warehouse when at the end of the day, if you ask the right questions and you dig a little bit deeper, their own warehouse really means a 3PL center, which is shared by a hundred other companies and cuts into your margins and has zero efficiency when it comes down to supply chain before it goes to an Amazon warehouse or to a customer, uh, outsourcing literally 90% of their team. So having a fragmented piecemeal organization where you have zero fluidity within the organization, therefore that has a negative outcome when it comes down to customer service with your investors as well as just quality outcomes of the business in general, when you have VAs that are just working for multiple companies and there's no true spirit within the company and there's no way to really control, it's not a controlled environment. Um, so it's not vertically aligned. So those are, those are the main things. And then just overall transparency. I mean, that's a huge thing. You, you drop 30, 40, 50, 60, somewhere in the six figures, you know, we have investors that drop upwards in seven figures sometimes. I mean, you want to know it's a digital space right now, but you want to trust who you're working with and, make sure they're not really hiding behind a computer <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And so transparency is a huge thing. I mean, this is our office in Los Angeles. You see me at right now. We keep the doors open here. The doors are open at our facility in Dallas. You can come physically visit the operation and see it in motion. Um, that's a simple question to even ask these companies when they say they're on warehouse, have their own warehouse. Can I visit? If they say you can't. That's that there's your red flag right there. It's not really yeah. their own warehouse. So those are the things that, that stood out in the beginning. And so when we, 
when we built this company, obviously we're coming into it ethically sound. That's just how Jeremy and I run our businesses um, with integrity. And so number one, it's, it's having that aspect, which we brought to the table the second we started the business. And then number two, it's really focusing on compliant business models, <laughs> you know, ones that we know are compliant within Amazon and then focusing on the infrastructure and the logistics piece. You know, we are built as a logistics company and a wholesale distributor. That is the heart of successful businesses that are built for longevity and sustainability. And so we sort of built the company in a foot manner, as opposed to a lot of these companies are focusing on the management piece of their Amazon store. And then they piecemeal together the entire supply chain and everything as they go. Um, and they're almost swimming upstream from day one. And so we sort of took it slow in the beginning and looked at all the infrastructure aspects and really focused on that um, in the beginning of growing Ascend. And, and that's really led to a lot of our success in terms of us constantly sort of being proactive. We're always employed, you know, probably two months ahead of how much we need employment in terms of new, new employees. And we just opened our second facility, but we probably don't need that until, you know, November. And that opened in August. So three months ahead of that as well. You mentioned that um, Amazon doesn't like drop shipping. Right. And when yeah. people think e-commerce, a lot of times, and me personally, I get those things mixed yeah. up, right? What's the difference between drop yeah. shipping, between Amazon, between Walmart? Why is it yeah. a violation? Yeah. So the term drop shipping, it's not that drop shipping specifically is against terms of service, but most of the time, 99% of drop shipping, the way that people actually do that fulfillment, they break the rule and breaking the rule, meaning their drop shipping is, is essentially when you list products on your store that you've not purchased yet in terms of you're not holding the inventory. So you are listing, say you find on target that there is a workout band for $8.99, but you know you can sell it on, on Amazon for $21.99. So then you would list that product as if you have it in stock, customer then purchases it from your store, and then you buy it from target. And the problem that everyone has been doing that does break these rules is they send directly from target to a customer's house. So mm. it's like buying on Amazon and having a target box show up. Of course, Amazon doesn't want that. It's against their brand and people freak out and they'll, they'll ask customer service, your store gets suspended. I mean, there's just no, you can make good money that way, but it's not going to last. You'll be suspended under six months guaranteed, but my left hand on that. And so <laughs> there's that, but then there's also the ability to potentially, if you have your own warehouse facility, which part of our FBM model is actually that exact model, but let's take out sending it direct to customer let's add our warehouse facility in the middle there as a prep center. We have a team that if we do do part of that model, we'll send it directly to our warehouse first, repackage it the same day, send it out to the customer, not breaking any rules, same exact thing, comes in a regular box. So that's what dropshipping is non-compliantly. And then our model we call high frequency reselling, which we don't use their dropshipping because it's got a stain to it and it's not technically what it is and ours is within terms of service. So there's that, that is fulfilled by merchant. So that means... Amazon is not sending out of their warehouse or Walmart's not sending out of their warehouse. If you send it as a prime product or a Walmart fulfillment services product, it means that you are sourcing products first, most likely in bulk. So most likely in wholesale, which means you buy it in volume, get it at discount. Then you have to still prep it most of the time. Most of the time you do have to actually, some suppliers will prep it ahead of time, but a lot of them, they won't. So if you're buying directly from a wholesaler, you have to send it to a prep center. We have our own prep center, obviously. So could send to an Ascend warehouse, or if you're not using Ascend, maybe a third-party warehouse, you break that down, get it ready for Amazon specifications, shoot it out to an Amazon or Walmart warehouse, 
Then it's listed as a prime product. It comes in a prime box. So Amazon then will repackage it their own liking, brand it themselves, do the two-day shipping, take liability on the shipping, et cetera. That model is generally wholesale, could also be private label. If you look at the fulfillment models, which I'll touch on briefly, is you have, or the product sourcing models, you can search through wholesale, which is volume, right? You can do the arbitrage, which is the first one I explained. Then you can do the branded aspect, which is private label. That's building out a brand, getting it manufactured. That holds a lot of weight when it comes down to the valuation of your business down the line, if you ever wanted to sell it. So this is digital real estate. This isn't just about passive income. This is, these are assets we're building. So you want to do it the right way. So we actually offer all three of those and we do it in a manner where we start with wholesale. We make sure that your business is optimal for appreciation, but that's essentially all the routes you can take. And we sort of cover all of them. I would say Walmart, you know, it's an emerging platform. Their, their platform, there are a lot of differences, but WFS is essentially what your FBA is, which means fulfilled by Amazon or Walmart fulfillment services. And that's your Amazon prime. Dude, that's a ton. I mean, that's already, that was like three different ways to run and operate a business. Now you're talking about two different types of service providers. That's a lot to get into. So when somebody does want to get involved, I can see why they like, yeah, uh, I don't really know what I'm doing. How can I, (laughs) how can I like shorten that learning curve? So when an investor comes in and wants to build a store, they have no clue. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I have no clue how this works. I know how to order my packages, but how to build yeah. a store, that's just not me, right? So yeah. what type of investment are we looking at and where does that investment go? Yeah, so essentially, you know, we have people who come to us who have maybe had some prior experience, right? Maybe they had a brand that took off on Amazon and they don't have that much time for its growth, so it's plateauing and they need someone to sort of take up the reins. And then we have people that have zero experience whatsoever. They come from a completely different sector and they just want to tap into this and they want to make money off this. They know it's a good asset class to be a part of, especially right now, considering it's growing while stocks are volatile, cryptos crash and and real estate's inflated. So, um, and we have inflation. So money that's sitting is money that you're losing. So that, that, that being said, um, Essentially, like where you start is you pay an upfront cost. And the way that is, there's different tiers. We go as low as 20 grand, as high as $50,000 um, for one business. Uh, and that's essentially going to determine your profit split. So that's an infrastructure cost. So say you throw 30 grand towards us, 20 grand is a 50-50 split on net profit earnings. 30 grand would be 60% to the investor, 40% to us. Remember, this is commission. This is not ownership of the store. You own the business outright as an investor. 35 grand is 65, 35, 40 grand is 70, 30. I added the 50 grand in there because you can add a private label uh, product here for $10,000 for like the premier package. You can also get bundles, but this is for one store. That's net profit earnings. So that 70, 30 split is off your true net earnings of your entire store. What did you actually make? Not what your revenue was. What, are your, what did you take mm-hmm. home after all costs, right? So that's what that split is. You pay that infrastructure cost. That's a one-time fee. That goes to payroll, leveraging our warehouse. I mean, we've got two warehouse facilities. We've got conveyor belts. We have a serious operation out of Dallas with, you know, almost 80 employees, about 77 employees on the ground there. Um, you know, our, our warehouse manager is making six figures. Like it is, it's a serious operation. So you're, you're essentially paying your upfront fee to be part of this infrastructure and have us leverage it on behalf of your business. It goes to payroll. It goes to product research. It goes to us sort of giving a runway until we make your store profitable, right? R&D, et cetera, all that kind of stuff. It's almost like a franchising cost, even though my legal team hates it when I use that term, that's the easiest way to conceptualize it. That goes to that. Then we build, after you fill out a couple forms, get your initial Amazon store open, which 
you have to do initially what you guide you on, but it's your store. So individually they check your identity. Um, we then go ahead and we leverage your working capital and grow your business. So there's the upfront fee does not go to product because infrastructure costs. You need to have working capital to drive the revenue of your store. Working capital could be a revolving credit line. That's the best way to do it. Probably business credit. It's a whole other podcast we can talk about is business credit, but essentially you want to open up an entity and then get a, a line of credit. Um, it could be personal credit in the beginning. We always recommend moving to business credit and we're using that to source, to pay for the products, which then we are going to flip at a margin of roughly 20%, upwards of 40%, as low as 10%, depending on the stage of your business. Um, and then you pay down that card and you cycle it back. So you get points and all those kind of benefits, right? So you need to have sort of working capital that is cyclical capital capital that you're using and a one-time investment right there. And that's sort of the, that combined thing. And your actual working capital is going to dictate how fast we can grow your store after six months, because everyone in the first six months is slightly slower. and to the, you know, the depth we can grow your store and it comes down to real revenue numbers. The more you put in, the more you get out. Obviously you throw a hundred grand towards product. It's just simple math there. It's more complex than this, but you throw a hundred grand towards product at a 20% margin, you make 20 grand, right? So mm -hmm. that's the easiest way to sort of look at it uh, as a business sort of scales to that level. Now, when we're talking about uh, working capital and we're talking about products, like, how do I know the difference between a good product and a bad product? Am I the one who's searching out and trying to figure out which products we're going to use? Or like, you know, once we, once we invest with you guys, now it's like, okay, your turn, you take the reins, you do the product research or, you know, how does that work? Yeah, we literally handle everything. So you come into this, you are the financial driver of the business. Yes, you have insight of what's going on. We use ClickUp, which is a database that has all the financial analytics, communication with the team. Yes, high touch is low touch. We have investors we don't talk to for months. Some check in every other day, et cetera. You can always look at your Amazon seller app and see your sales and what's listed. When it comes down to handling the business and picking the products, doing all the stuff that takes time, it's what you paid us for, right? So we do literally all of that. We look at John Doe's store month six. What is he selling? I mean, shit, it could be anything from <laughs> like potato chips to Barbie dolls to, you know, scissors you know, potting plants. It is a general store. There's no niche categories we don't go into. It's wholesale. It's what the data is saying is going to make you money. And you don't need to worry about looking for that, right? Uh, if you want to have, we have some clients that don't want anything in plastic wrap stuff for environmental reasons, or they, they don't want to sell certain products. That's fine. Let us know. Other than that, though, it's us who decides the products because we just are going for stuff that we know is going to make money. If it goes down to private label, private label is always an add-on for our business model. If you decide to have a branded product on top of the wholesale aspect of what we do, you might have a little bit more of say in terms of the categories we go into. So we can do research. If you like wellness or you like, you know, let's just say you're into your athlete and you want to do some kind of brand with a workout gear, like resistance bands or something that's super saturated, but this is an example. We can go down that route and search in that category, in that niche for something that is a viable profitable product that we can manufacture. And if we find something that works, then we can sort of jump down that category and open up a sort of a catalog of products down that line. But that's the closest it gets into a client actually deciding. And that's more on the passion side when you get to that level. What are some of the pushbacks that you get when you talk to, you know, potential investors? I mean, you know, throwing 40, 50K into something uh, doesn't sound yeah. too bad, especially when you're getting a, you know, 20% return on investment potentially. I mean, that's not a, a bad ROI at all. However, yeah. 
you know, you are like on the, on the flip side, you know, when, when you put 20, 30, 50 K into a property, you have a tangible piece of property here that you, yeah. that you can turn around and sell, right? This is a little bit different. What's some of that pushback you get yeah. uh, and how do you overcome that? I'm happy you brought that up because as different as it is, it's also very, very similar. This is just one example real quick. So, and, and this is going to be a long answer, <laughs> but the first example we got here is if I open an Amazon store and I got one sale. So the first sale dictates the age of the store. It begins aging after you get one sale. If I got one sale and then I decided not to sell anymore, right? And I just had a store for about a year and it had one sale and one review and it opened in 2021 or 2022. And now it's a year later in 2023. That store, it's probably worth three grand at that point. So it actually really? gained value and appreciated because it's an aged business that opened in a different calendar year and it's aged algorithmically as it already had one sale. If it didn't have any sales and never started aging, therefore it's not worth anything, right? Really, maybe a little bit, maybe you know, 500 to a thousand bucks. There are markets for these, right? Now let's talk about a store that's actually done something, okay? Let's fast forward three years on a store that's doing a hundred grand a month and you're netting 20 grand of that per month in a year, 20 times 10 to say it's 250 grand of profit a year around two to four X your net earnings a year is what these stores can be worth to sell. So you're not just getting a passive income aspect here. You're getting an appreciating digital asset. We get a lot of real estate investors that come into play here. That a lot of them align with this model. I call it digital real estate because it is a form of digital real estate. It is like the booming internet age. If you had, you know, locked in the domain dogs.com back then, it's the same kind of concept. Amazon and e-com right now is only 16% of the market for sales online. It's predicted to be 95% by 2040. So you're getting a piece, you're getting commodity online. It's digital, it's not tangible, but it does appreciate in value if you do it the right way. And that's how we present it to our clients because the model that we use makes sure that there's optimal appreciation for this business if you ever wanted to flip it down the line. Now, on the other hand, in terms of the industry as a whole, pushback, trust. This is a new industry, okay? I, I don't know you guys, right? <laughs> I see a lot of, I'm gonna hit with ads left and right now from all these automation companies. A lot of them are sleazy as shit, I'll be honest with you. And a lot of them don't know what they're doing. And that's why we started this company, right? So when people speak to us, normally they come, they circle back around us regardless. But at the end of the day, our big thing is trust, yeah. So yeah, come to our warehouse, transparency. I touched on this in the beginning, that's huge. Come visit us, come shake my hand one of the founders in LA. Like come meet our warehouse manager. You could see the brick and mortar of the situation. So we, we lead with that. So people do trust us in that aspect in the beginning, which is important because uh, the transparency factor. And then we also guarantee everyone's investment. So literally it's a guaranteed investment in the fact that if you were actually investing 40 grand with us for your upfront fee, we will guarantee at minimum that you make that back or we'll pay you the difference, right? Yeah, like that has never happened where we've had to actually do that but it's a security measure for people who are new to this industry who feel weary. So you can think in the worst case scenario in your mind that you just don't make money and you break even on 40 grand, right? That, that's, that's not happened, but that's what we have set contractually as a guarantee. Now, I want to talk to one thing real quick and you might even lead into this question, like what are the risks, right? It sounds too good to be true because we do get that all the time. You know, at the end of the day, it is business, right? We take as much risk away as possible by having that guarantee. You do, you are purchasing inventory, right? So inventory not selling as fast as you like would probably be the biggest risk here, which we mitigate 
by having multiple fulfillment models and we don't buy a lot of the same product in the beginning until your store is seasoned. But Amazon likes to come in there and undercut people sometimes. And worst case scenario, we liquidate items out and we liquidate them out by breaking even on their investment and dropping the margins. You'll never lose money on product that's sitting. So that's the worst case scenario is you'll have product that lasts longer than you'd like in the beginning. It normally doesn't happen after six months. It's normally the first six months, but we can always start slower <clears throat> and spend less in the beginning to sort of, you know, sort of ease that kind of situation of potentially happening. Dude, great answer. Everybody loves guarantees. You're going to tell me I'm going to put money in an investment. I mean, and, and if it doesn't work out, you're going to give me my money back. That is huge, right? I mean, that, that is, I mean, you're literally playing to that trust factor because that's really the biggest thing that's holding people back is, do you trust me? Like, do you believe that I can do what I say I'm going to do? I had a question about Amazon versus Walmart. You said Walmart's, uh, you know, coming in as a player into this game. You said right now, overall deliveries are like 16% and you want there's, they're projected to be over at 95. Um, Should people be focusing their attention on one versus the other, or are you guys kind of doing an arbitrage of both? Yeah. Yeah. So we, this is how we approach it. If you are new to this business, and you are new to e-commerce in general, we guide you, unless you insist otherwise, <laughs> we, are, we are guiding you to do Amazon first. That is your sustainable model that is proven in the fact that when I mention about businesses that are sellable, we know that data with Amazon, right? I can't say the same with Walmart because their platform is fairly new when it comes down to third-party selling. And there's a lot of kinks in their armor when it comes down to just the way that it's done still. Um, so that being said, start with the sustainable venture first. Amazon, we know how it works. Their platform is great. They have the seller app. We can run that business in a manner that we are experts in that space. And they're not, as, as they still change policies, but it's not like they're trying to figure out everything from the beginning, right? They've been doing this for a while. It might take longer to get your store to that consistent revenue, but maybe just a few months longer than Walmart, right? So start there. That's, that's our guidance. If you are getting a portfolio of businesses, generally we recommend two Amazon for every one Walmart or maybe do one-on-one kind of thing. Walmart, on the other hand, awesome opportunity. You know, there is under 200,000 sellers on their platform. Margins are super high because of that, and there's less competition. Um, 90% of Americans live within 10 miles of a Walmart, a physical Walmart. So the, why is that beneficial? Because brand recognition is there. There's Walmart loyalists who purchase stuff online that <clears throat> used to go into the store all the time, but the pandemic opened up their eyes to shopping online. So you have lifelong customers that's growing. They also have an $18 billion initiative in their e-commerce program, which is huge. And they also leverage their brick and mortar Walmart super centers as partial logistics centers. So you can order online and pick up at Walmart kind of thing. All these are benefits for their growth in e-commerce. They're about 10% of, of, they're about 10% of the e-commerce market, right? What I mentioned before was 16% of the retail market is e-commerce in general. Out of the e-commerce in general, overall, their Walmart is about 10%. I'm not sure Amazon is, is close to 50%, but there is a huge amount of market share that Walmart is going to take over the next few years. They will never be past Walmart or past Amazon, but there's a lot more selling to do there. And there's a lot of categories that they're going to excel in. And there's a lot of products that they just don't, they just simply just don't sell that Amazon does. So you can go in there as a seller. And if you're doing well on Amazon, you can cross sell that product on Walmart probably have higher margins, most likely, maybe a little bit less volume in sales, but then you can also sell products that you can't sell on Amazon just because there are category leaders that you simply cannot 
jump in front of the line on just based on their establishment on Amazon's platform, which they're not on Walmart's. There's a lot of big companies right now that can't get on Walmart still because it's a tricky process to get approved as well. Um, we got about an 80% approval rate. Uh, but yeah, that's those are the big factors I'd say to really take into consideration. But there, there is like some funkiness with their platform. If you were to go on to like seller.amazon.com or seller.walmart.com and you have both of those businesses up and you want to look at like what's going on with both your businesses, Walmart's like freezes sometimes and it's a little bit funky, but that that's the name of the game. Amazon's like your index fund. Walmart's like your crypto high, you know, high risk, high return, balance out your econ portfolio and do both. That's how we recommend it. All right. I got one more question. Cause we're running low on time. Uh, it's kind of a two parter one. Uh, you mentioned the six months that uh, you kind of got to wait. Things kind of slow up before things pick up. Um, when does that, uh, you know, what does that kind of look like as far as dollars are concerned? And then of course, any final thoughts? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So the first six months that that's, this is sort of an Amazon probationary period. So if you're a new seller, they got their eyes on you. Uh, they're vetting you out, making sure you're selling real products. They're not really premiering a lot of your stuff everywhere. They've limited inventory limits for Amazon FBA. You have like earn your stripes per se. And so we're really just getting traction in your store. We're dropping margins a little bit lower on what we're selling just so we can get that first sale. So you might have 7% margins on some stuff that we could generally go higher, but the fact that you're a new store with no reviews, we need to get traction overall just to get your store moving and grooving. In terms of what you will spend, that's completely up to you in the first six months. We have zero requirements on spend the first six months. It's six months and later where we need you to really legitimately inject working capital so we can guarantee your investment, right? But the first six months, if you come in and you say, I have just 10 grand on a credit card, I want to leverage. Let's just do it sort of lightly in the beginning. And then we'll, you know, pedal to the metal after that. So that's sort of, there's a lot of flexibility in the beginning. Just know that 80% of your revenue in the first 12 months comes month six to 12 of your first 12 months. So we're building the car. We're driving it the second half of the year. That's sort of how that works. Sweet, um, man. Any final thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I was like. What was, what was the second part of the question? Final thoughts. Um, yeah. The one thing I just want to touch on briefly about us as a company, I think it's really important because we think really far ahead with a lot of things. Um, and we're very innovative and proactive in approaching things. And this business is, is amazing. And all of our clients you know, are doing well. And where we're going in the future is globally. So we're testing out Canada's market right now. We were just in the UK recently. That's a market we're going to be testing out soon. Germany um, as well. Those are going to be our next three markets. These are for US sellers as well. And also for people who are interested in those states. But if you are a, a Amazon.com seller right now, we're going to open up doors for you in these different markets and be able to sell in those markets for our clients. And so it doesn't just stop at Amazon and Walmart. There's also global expansion ahead right now. And there's a lot of opportunity there. It's growing faster than the US in Canada and in the UK. Uh, surprisingly. Um, so yeah, that's, that's something to just keep in mind in terms of where this goes. It doesn't really, there's no dead end when it comes down to investing in a program with the sun. Dude, that sounds amazing. I mean, a lot of stuff's going on. You're right. Global markets. And if you have somebody on the inside already doing different things, yeah. that's going to make a big difference. How do people get a hold of you if they want to work with you? Totally. Yeah. So you can check out our website, www.ascendecom.com. You can follow us on IG, that's Ascend underscore E-C-O-M. IG, we post pretty much daily. There's a lot of educational stuff in there, you know, warehouse footage, random stuff. You could DM us there, book a call there. Also directly on our website, there's some of our models. You can sort of look right there and book a call as well. Some of our business models you can research into and all of our publications from, you know, Forbes to podcasts are going to be on there as well. 
All right, we also dropped that email address, partnerships at uh, ascendecom.com. All right, man, well, thank you very much for being on the show, ladies and gents. Dude, I don't know about you guys, but I was literally ordering something on Amazon just a little while ago, and you never know. Some of those products could be some of the very products that are putting money in your pocket. So if you got some of that disposable income, you're wondering what kind of business can I create that pays you passively and has an ability to grow in value because you can exit by selling it, you might want to check this out. Make sure you guys go to ascendecom.com, ascendecom.com, or follow Will over on Instagram, ascend underscore ecom. Send them a DM. Check out all the stuff they got going on. It's legit. Real warehouses, real people, (laughs) real business, ready to help you make real dollars. Will, thank you very much for being on the program. Ladies and gents, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. And we're out. It's over. Go home. Is your business in need of marketing? Try starting a podcast. But not just any podcast. Podcast like a pro. We can show you how to take your business from being invisible to becoming a brand people trust. Go to www.businessbros.biz to get started today.